My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. This week, we are looking into supply and demand chain with Brielle Jacob who is the Managing Editor of Supply and Demand Chain Executive and also the host of The Link podcast. Very enjoyable conversation. I really uh, loved this uh, chat that we had. Uh, We went uh, in a number of directions that I hope will be helpful. Um, So, yes, we talked about the state of supply chain and uh, omnichannel and a whole host of related topics which I think are important for those of us who are developing solutions and selling into industries where supply chain is important. I think it's also interesting just as an individual who's being impacted by supply chain. But the area that we ended up talking quite a lot, uh, uh, we spent a lot of time, uh, which I wasn't expecting to, but I was just drawn into it, was the whole question of what you need to do in order to get coverage in the media for your story. So Brielle's the person that says yes or no to stories. And if you're an entrepreneur, part of your success is getting that important media coverage. So we really go into what she's looking for, when she says no, when she says yes. So an interesting show. I hope you enjoy it. The Mr. Beacon podcast is sponsored by Williot. Intelligence for everyday things, powered by IoT Pixels. So Brielle, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on the other end. Yes, you host your own podcast, which is uh, excellent. Um, So let's uh, explain to people a bit about what the Link podcast is. But first of all, uh, maybe you should say a bit about Supply and Demand Chain Executive, which you're the managing editor for. Right. So yeah, I'm the managing editor for Supply and Demand Chain Executive, and we cover pretty much anything related to the supply chain uh, and and demand chain. Um, I focus a lot on technology. I do all the main cover stories. So I do a lot of uh, tech, uh, su- sustainability stuff because I'm personally very interested in that. Uh, and then the link podcast, I kind of cover any trends that are happening in the industry. I, I usually typically do two episodes a month now focused on one topic. So then we can really, you know, get different perspectives on that topic, you know, learn new things. I mean, there's so many different facets of the supply chain and, and I try and get into it all. Yeah. I, I uh... We were talking earlier about the fact that this has gone from something that no one wanted to talk about to something that everyone wants to talk about. What what is the typical, what's the most asked question that you get when you explain what you do and the nature of your publication? Well, right now, if I'm talking to somebody who's outside of the sector, they're asking me about what's what's coming up, what's going to be a shortage now. When it when can they buy a new car? Is a big one, you know. And oh, really? Yeah. Oh, 
every day my fiance goes to the grocery store and comes home and goes, there's a chicken shortage. When did this happen? And I keep saying it's been happening. It just comes and goes like it's, it's rough. (laughs) And so what do you tell people when they say, when can I buy a car? I'm interested in the answer to that. That one I say, buckle up (laughs) or get comfortable in your house because it's, it's going to be a long, (laughs) long time before we're back up on the semiconductor, uh, Issue. Yeah, it takes takes a few years to build a fab, which I think is basically mm-hmm. what they need to do to to fix that. Am I uh, am I right? Is that the yeah. kind of the key thing? Yeah. Well, I think with the shortages in general, what people don't understand is that you know we get a lot of our products from China, and China shut down first, and so and these things take time. You know, they build up a. A stockpile and then it you know years down the road is when it actually gets to us it's not you know boom 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 and so i think consumers are really confused as to why you know well we've been open for all this time why are these things having a shortage i'm like well you're like two years ago is when you know nobody was working to to fix to build these things and now those parts too not even just the thing that you want it's the parts to build those things that you want or you know like the chicken i was mentioning like the people weren't there to um you know process the meat and that takes time to get you know so it's it's getting there interesting so So, um you mentioned the question that people outside of the industry uh, ask you the most, what's the question that you get most often from people inside the industry? I think inside the industry, people are really interested in technology. So they want to know what's the the top technology. I think those are huh? definitely our number one stories that are, are popular on the website and in the magazines or anything related to technology because you know people want to know what's what's coming out. But at the same time, you know, not everyone is wants to do this shiny object syndrome. So you, everyone has to be uh-huh. wary of that. You know, you can't just flock to a new technology because it's new and it sounds great. So I really pride myself on working on what what are people actually using, what's actually yes. helping the industry, and what's you know makes more sense. This is super interesting. I mean, so the reason why we invited you on the on on the show was because we see and and, and this show is all about technology. It's all about uh, uh, auto ID technology, beacon, Bluetooth beacons, Bluetooth tags. I can't believe that we're still going. Like I don't know, it's been uh, um, uh, about 150 episodes, and uh, there's still no end in sight uh, because there's just so much to learn. Mm-hmm. And part of what we're trying to learn, as well as you know, new breakthroughs, new versions of the Bluetooth standard, new vendors that are coming out with cool tech, is what is it that people are doing with our technology? Because I think you know, I, I'm a firm believer that, that that the business and the technologists need to come together and think in a joined up way for this stuff to be sustainable in a business sense of the word sustainable and uh, um, so I think it's really important that we understand what it is that people are sticking these Bluetooth tags QR Mm -hmm. codes RFID codes on and why and uh, what's driving it because then as as entrepreneurs as innovators as solution designers we can uh, uh, we we can know what we're doing and why we're doing it and, and we're much more likely to make good design decisions if we understand who the customer is so you are our customer uh, for for this uh, for this podcast, and I do want to ask you about your perspective on the technology. Um, not that I'm expecting you to come up with kind of insider uh, stuff on the technology, but I think it's very interesting what you said about it's almost a conservative nature of the profession that you inform uh, that you're writing for. That if I'm running a supply chain, this is not going to be wacky. Let's throw this on the wall, let's try it out. This is like bet your business stuff. So uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in this point that you made about the fact that people want the new stuff. They want to figure out how to make a breakthrough, but they, at the same time, they don't want to be the first ones out there. They're not, my sense is that they're not the early adopters. How does that manifest itself in the discussion that goes on in your 
publication. If I'm a, which I am, if I'm a, someone that works for a new high-tech company, how should I be telling my story so that you think that it's worth covering and it's not just some VC-backed uh, flash-in-the-pan thing? What, what, what do you look for? In terms of being a journalist, I get quite a lot of pitches about updates and this person bought this software. We try not to cover that because it's not breaking news. It's not anything groundbreaking. So I do, I do cover the, oh my God, wow, this comes out of left field that, that people might end up not using because mm -hmm. it's interesting. And I like to see what we're coming up with. I like to see what the industry is coming out with. But I will say that the number one thing that has stuck with me in terms of something someone said during an interview is that uh, a technology provider, somebody who creates technology if, for robotics, actually, for the supply chain, they said to me, the, the most important thing is talking to people on the ground and figuring out what's going to help them. And that's important because you have... I mean, obviously, you have the big companies, the Amazons of the world that are flocking to the the crazy new technology because they can afford it. But then you have the mom and pop legacy warehouses that have been running on the old, you know, WMS systems and TMS systems forever. And they're not likely as likely to switch on a dime to this fancy new technology. So I think it's really important to find that middle ground of uh, actual things that can actually fit into the warehouse, help these people on the ground do their job instead of replace them. I, I don't really think we're going to be replacing anyone anytime soon with our technology. I mean, I've seen amazing things on the floors of these shows, um, but with the worker shortage, with, you know, coronavirus still wild in the world, I just don't see it happening anytime soon. And I think as, as a, industry, if we are look to solve the gaps instead of replace people and drive down costs. So I think people get caught up in what's going to save us the most money and yeah. that you can't think that way. You have to think of how can I be the most productive? And that's how I think we should be looking at technology. And that's how I cover technology on, on in the publication. So I want to come back to this thread that we're on, but before we do, can you just um, explain for people that aren't um, uh, insiders, what's a WMS and what's a TMS? So uh, WMS is a warehouse management system and TMS is a transport management system. Uh, okay. Okay. So, and examples of that, uh, what, to, what, what are people using for WMS and TMS? I can't, I don't have any of the names off the top of my head because I'm not on the warehouse floor, but it's, it's changing. We're, we're seeing a lot uh -huh. of new, ways that technology is fitting into each other. So, you know, a, a warehouse management system can talk to all these other uh, softwares at, or incorporate all those other softwares. And that's where the future is headed. Because I, I, when I speaking to 3PLs in the past, their biggest issue was disjointed technology. So they have to, a 3PL has to work with all these different other technology providers because everyone's using a different system. Every shipper, every company is using their own thing. And so it was difficult with the TMS to be able to, you know, deal with all of that. So it, so it's been exciting to see the shift in these last few years of technology being able to really integrate. And I think since the supply chain crisis, we're seeing a lot of technology partners actually collaborate and and, and work to uh, technology companies partnering up to collaborate and work together to kind of solve this. And I, and I think that's another important part of the future is technology that can work together and talk together. And another important buzzword, 3PL, what's, uh, what's that? Oh, uh, third-party logistics. So that's my beat on the cold chain side of things. That's what I focus on. And that's, you know, the people who are, you have a you have a freight company or a trucking company, and they're the ones that you can actually hire yourself to take goods from A to B. Or you can use a three PL, which will help manage all of that without you. Okay, 
Very good. Um, so let's get back to the question of what you like to cover. And for a technology uh, company, which a lot of our listeners are, how they need to frame what they are doing in a way that's actually newsworthy. And uh, I think, you know, what I took away from the first part of your answer was read the lean startup and basically do the advice that's in that book, which is get really close to your customers, spend time with, you know, talk to a lot of customers and understand what their problems actually are and uh, kind of understand their vocabulary and pain points. So let's imagine that I've, uh, I've done that and uh, I kind of know that the, uh, know what the problem is that I'm trying to solve and I've developed some technology that, solves it and maybe I've got my first couple of customers. How do I package that into a story that you'd actually be interested in covering? Well, if, if someone sends me a pitch that says this company bought their technology, it, I'll be honest, that one goes right into my, um, let's save that in case they have something important to say for like a story that I'm covering over an overall subject, but I'm not covering that news specifically because, yeah. you know, the readers aren't super interested in stuff like that. So for me, it would be something that really is going to make a difference in the industry. Like I recently covered a technology that's looking to get rid of uh, delivery trucks in downtown LA so that that company wants to, you know, completely drive sustainability with zero emissions and work on, you know, getting in and out to drop off deliveries without these bulky trucks in the way. I mean, this is stuff like um, bicycles, uh, you know, um, autonomous delivery, things like that, things that could potentially change the industry. Um um, that makes sense. I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at it from your reader's perspective and they're like doing their job and they're running their supply chain, but they're kind of looking for, well, what is it that I need to be aware of that will make me seem smart when I raise this idea with the boss rather than, uh, or with my board or whoever it is that they're trying to impress. You're kind of giving them the fodder to survive in this corporate world, either because, you know, it's driving some action or, or it's going to make them sound smart sounds like that's kind of essentially the service. So I would say we have four different types of written content. There's video and podcasts and all that stuff, endless, mm. <laughs> endless amounts of those. But there's four specific types of written content that I focus on for the website. And that would be news items, articles, which focus on overall, you know, trends, expert columns, and then my column. So the news items are, you know, your, this technology is launching today. That's, you know, a short little blurb about what the technology is, a link to their company page on our website. Uh, and, there, you know, I always try to include how is this important for the industry? So that's how I'm always looking at every news story is not even how it's going to change the industry. What does the industry why does the industry care about this? And that's how I think about every piece of article, every piece of news is why, why do we care about this? What does this mean? And then the, the articles themselves, I'll tap technology providers to help give insight on the actual trend that's going on. Like, um, I'm, I just worked on a piece about warehouse automation. So there I'm talking to a, an automation provider, you know, to give me some trends, but I really try to focus on non-promotional content because no one wants to read an article where it's just like, well, the top trend in automation is my technology, use it. So I'm yeah. always, you know, really strict about that. Um, and then the expert columns are, are also have to be non-promotional as well. And then my columns is timely stuff, less evergreen. So stuff I'll, I'll write about, like when the Suez Canal problem was happening, that's when I was writing about that. Um, when the chip shortage first happened that I put in a column, you know, the timely, the timely pieces, but that leads to a larger article. Fascinating. That's really good. And it all makes total sense. I think uh, basically what it requires, if you want to get your story placed, it requires empathy, thinking about the reader and what they're trying to get out of it rather than just what you're trying to achieve, which is generally a good recipe. If for, you only for write about what you want to write about, 
you will fail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, we love your publication at Williot because, um, um, well, well, A, you've published a, a, one or two stories about us, which uh, is, is wonderful. But um, I think the fact that you're straddling supply chain and demand chain is uh, is super interesting. And we see I see demand chain as the future. Um, um, uh, and uh, I was trying to explain what a demand chain was uh, um, to my wife this morning as we were uh, trying to uh, wrestle our dogs into uh, um, uh, into some kind of uh, a reasonable course on their walk. And um, uh, she actually did a much better job of explaining it back to me uh, after I explained it to her. And I was kind of starting off from the theoretical point that conventional supply chains, they're driven um, from, you know, the factory side. Uh, you know, you, you have a forecast and you start manufacturing based on that forecast, which is based on past uh, demand, whereas a demand chain is really taking demand signals from the customer, from as close to the customer as possible. It may be an out-of-stock signal in real time from a shelf, or in the future, it's like... Um, you're uh, looking at uh, how often someone's wearing an item of clothing uh, because that's a good predictor of the things that are going to be bought again or when uh, when a, um, a food container is running low. So automatically having a, a Bluetooth tag that talks to the smart speaker and says, oh, um, Steve's about to run out of cinnamon or, or, or whatever. And she's, she was like, oh, okay, thanks for uh, mansplaining that to me. And she said... Uh, no, I think a better example is, uh, which just happened to us, you take your car into the uh, the garage uh, and they've already got the part uh, for you because the car that's failing has been talking back to the supply chain. And, I mean, and that's like, oh, yeah, that was a lot quicker and easier to understand. Uh, and I can't wait for demand chains to come. So anyway, thanks for covering the, covering them in your beat. I, I appreciate it. Well, I think visibility and real-time data is a huge part of uh, the supply chain right now. And it's, it's, I mean, every other word in my articles is visibility at, at this point, because it's such an important part. I mean, we have all this data, we better use it, you know, and it's, I think it's been great to see how the industry and not just supply chain, the retail industry, just businesses in general have been able to pivot to actually learn from the data. Cause five years ago, we were capturing all this data. And that was the number one thing I was seeing at trade shows, at conferences was data, 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 but nobody knew how to use it. So, and there would be endless amounts of data that people couldn't sort through or weren't sorting through correctly and not looking at the right data. So this new wave of visibility in real time, you know, demand chain is super important. Actually, one uh, off-the-wall question, which just occurred to me, um, you know, can, um, we've got pretty lean supply chains. Can they possibly get any leaner? And, and the reason I ask that is, you know, we're in this state of disarray. And, uh, you know, with my kind of regular punter hat on, uh, struggling because I can't get the stereo component, the preamp for my uh, stereo because it's like there are no chips available. I'm like, our supply chains are too lean. We should be having less lean supply chains so that we don't have these problems. What's your answer to, to, to that? Uh, is the problem that our supply chains are too lean or are we just not doing lean in an intelligent enough way? Personally, I think it's both. I think it's been interesting to see, you know, consumers now and, you know, mainstream media now realize that we have a problem, but there's always been a problem. It's it, it's just coming to light now because of all these factors. And it's not even just COVID. It's, it's everything coming together at once. And I personally believe that it's the the need to drive down costs. Where can I get the cheapest supplier? Where can I get the cheapest packager? Where can I, you know, and, and that's lengthened the supply chain too far. It's one of the mm -hmm. reasons why sustainability in the supply chain is a real issue. And I'm glad to see a lot of major companies in the supply chain focus on sustainability issues because the supply chain is, it's the number one producer of, 
uh, climate change. You know, the amen. <laughs> and amen. and it's definitely globalization. I think is a huge part of that. And it's not. And so we refer to sustainability with the three P's: people, profit, and planet. So it's not just the planet. It's it's also there's issues of slave labor that we don't talk about that much um, because it's so far away. You don't really think about it. But you know, this globalization I think is the problem. So I don't think we necessarily need to reshore because that's that's unrealistic. You know, there's certain metals that you can't get in America. You know, you, you have to go somewhere else for that, but, but bringing it closer together and not focusing on what's the cheapest way for me to do this and focusing on what's the smartest way for me to do this is definitely where, where I think we can fix this, but it takes working together. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with so much of what you've said and uh, I'm uh, a bit of a tree hugger. I um, um, did a whole bunch of campaigning about uh, alternative energy before I joined Williot and uh, when I had a bit more spare time. Uh, but, uh, uh, but I don't have that anymore. As to be frank, I was getting a little depressed. I'm like, uh, so, you know, working at Williot's wonderful. It's, you know, computer the size of a postage stamp, really cool stuff. But I'm like, but, you know, the world's collapsing and, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm living in California and, uh, I moved here. One of the first things I saw was a wall of flame coming across the, the hill uh, that backs onto the house where we, we live. And I, I've never been so scared in my life. It was, uh, it, it's just like, this is a real, real problem. And I'm like, how is my day job helping this? And then I realized, actually, this is hugely relevant, that if we can give people visibility onto their supply chain, uh, I feel like th there's... This is not like a 10%, 5%, 3%, 2% marginal improvement. This could be massive uh, because, well, my hypothesis is at the moment, most brands, manufacturers don't know what's in their supply chain. And when you don't really have visibility, if you don't know, uh, we have like customers that have 100,000 uh, wholesale outlets. You know, there's a car parts company and they're literally distributing these parts to 100,000 places. And yeah, they probably know what's in stock roughly uh, at, Co at Costco and Walmart, but most of their channels don't have EDI and they, they don't know what's there. And so what do you do? You, you, you have to make more. You just blindly produce you know, twice as much as you need to. You have a huge truck that is going around to every one of these mom and pop outlets. And they say, oh, are you out of stock or, or not? And then... Mm -hmm. You know, they don't know what's going to be out of stock, so they have to have 10 of everything. Whereas if they actually had visibility of what was in stock and what was out of stock, then they could have a smaller truck that was only driving to the places that were needed, and they could make half half the stuff. I mean, maybe it's not half. Maybe it's they, they have a 33% reduction. But you can imagine what would be the climate impact if we reduced the capital tied up in in surplus inventory that was just sitting in a warehouse not doing anyone any good and being hauled around mindlessly to trucks because basically the people that make anything from car batteries to soap don't actually know what the stock levels are uh, in the stores uh, and they don't certainly don't know whether you're actually using the product in the home so you know I, I feel like if the future is everything's connected to the internet, the internet of things becomes the internet of everyday things, then we actually have a chance of solving, maybe not completely, but making a huge dent in the climate change problem. And the, and, and the great thing is, unquestionably, this is important for the planet. Unquestionably, it's important for the people that whose lives get disrupted when their house burns down or there's a, a war because, uh, you know, someone, some country's water supplies disappeared and there's a, a, a crop failure. But also uh, the, 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 the very inspiring thing is this is great for profits as well. So we're not, no longer kind of uh, liberals wringing our hands. We're like capitalists saying, hey, here's a way of saving money and making money, reducing costs, incre increasing your valuation as a company. And, and if you do this, then maybe this will help save the climate crisis. That's, if, I'll get off my soapbox, but you no, kind of got you, me going with your three piece. If you want people to pay attention, you got to show them the money. <laughs>
I mean, and I think that's a great point you brought up with your work and being conflicted about, you know, thinking about climate change, but, you know, maybe your work doesn't align with that. I felt the same way. Um, but then I, I noticed, like, I can cover sustainability. So now I'm able to really focus on that and focus on the things that we need to do. And I've been interviewing people and asking them, you know, what do you think? And I'm trying to, yeah, make that more visible and showing the mom and pop shops, uh, you know, the mom and pop warehouses that like these, like it can be done. And because it's not, not backed up, you know, we have research and, and it's great to see that everyone's taking it seriously now. Um, it's unfortunate because it's, there's realities to it. I mean, I live on the coast and um, this is a predominantly Republican area where not a lot of people were as accepting of climate change before. But now I yeah, I live in, on the 10 minutes away from a beach town. I live on the ocean. And every year the island gets more and more flooded. And I mean, before it used to be a heavy rainstorm and then we had to worry about flooding. And now it's just high tide and you can't get through. And, you know, people are understanding that this is uh, a problem and that it's it's real. It's actually making changes to our planet and to our everyday lives. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yes, uh, I totally agree. And uh, it's nice. It's nice and nasty. It's nice that we, yeah. uh, the climate change issue is now, I think, so bad that it's in my opinion, beyond uh, politics, it's uh, uh, it's about survival and profit, and it's in, impacting the bottom line. And uh, so it makes sense for people to uh, uh, think about how they deal with it. Uh, and even if they don't believe in it, it just made sense from a marketing point of view to have your house in order and uh, right. and do the right thing. So that's good. Let's talk about omnichannel because uh, I, I was at NRF, uh, National Retail Federation show. Um, Last week, I guess it was maybe, yeah, um, uh, very recently uh, in your backyard in New York. And I was, it was great actually. I was very surprised that we had this uh, uh, CEO of, um, of Walmart there in person, uh, Ralph Lauren, uh, who obviously these fashion companies, as you know, are based in New York. Um, and um, we had um, one of the Nordstroms uh, who's, who's kind of dialing in. But one of the epiphanies that I had was that this omni I don't know whether people are still talking about omnichannel, but this bringing together of brick and mortar and of um, the web um, is, is not going away. Uh, in fact, with COVID and the rise of Amazon, Amazon's now the biggest apparel retailer in the world. It come, in my mind, it comes down to the survival of the stores that we, some of us still like uh, visiting. So what is your view of uh, omnichannel? Um, why is it important? And how do you feel like it's uh, driving supply chain systems? And, and are people still interested? Is, is that the word that people are using on omnichannel? What's the What's the fashionable descriptor? You know, descriptor? I have been wondering the exact same thing because I was in, I, I started in the supply chain of two years ago, next month. And before that I was in retail. And so 
in when I was working for a retail publication, I heard the word omnichannel in my sleep. I would go to conferences, I would go to NRF, and me and my coworkers would joke that we would write articles that just said omnichannel, 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 because that's all anyone was talking about. But it's absolutely important. And I, because think of it as a consumer, like me as a shopper, like I, I'm in the supply chain, but I'm still a customer. I'm still a consumer. I'm still buying and using these things. So when I'm on my phone and I'm looking at, you know, bridesmaids dresses here, and then I switch to my computer because lunch is over and I just, you know, want to, you know, send it to my email. I want to be able to follow that line without having to start over you know, and it's great to see technology in the last few years change completely because now maybe omnichannel isn't used as much because now it's just reality. You know, years ago when I first started, I at at my retail publication, I focused on the mobile side of things. I worked for a publication called Mobile Marketer. And um, so I was covering anything that had to do with your, you know, mobile device. And it's just so different compared to today, because a lot of the things that we were saying need to be done are just afterthoughts today. And you, you know, you wouldn't even think about it because you just expect to log into your Etsy account on your phone. And then I want to pick right back up where I was browsing on my computer. And that shifts into the supply chain because one, people are used to that in their personal lives. So of course they're going to want that in their work life. So a supply chain manager who's used to browsing, you know, their retail sites and then being able to pick up on any device, they want that in their work life too. So we need omnichannel on the warehousing floors, the transportation fleets. We need all of that. We need seamless messaging. You know, truckers need to be able to communicate effectively. Um, and then at the same time, it helps for that re that real time uh, visibility, which is the now the key word in um, in the supply chain. So I, I think it all goes together. I think it's absolutely imperative. And one of the ways I think that that's happening, or I mean, the the major way that's happening in the supply chain is definitely smart assets and the industrial internet of things. So that mm-hmm. that brings omnichannel all together in terms of the supply chain. So it's like we, we've stopped talking about omnichannel as this kind of novelty. Oh, is it happening? I mean, it's now just part of the job. It's it, it's. I mean, it was clear from hearing. Um, um, the the uh, executive uh, from Nordstrom, um, who basically runs merchandising, that 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 their survival in the face of Amazon is predicated on an amazing experience. And this isn't about magic mirrors in the changing room. It's about mm-hmm. showing up and actually, if you've seen that something is in stock on your app, that it's actually there, and it's been saved for you or not saved for you. And if you can't. And if it's in stock, being able to get to it. And it's kind of incredible, really, that uh, we've been talking about omnichannel for so long. But when I was looking for COVID tests, like we all were, and I looked at the, all of the apps of the pharmacy companies, and, you know, you go to the stores that say that they have uh, inventory, and, and, and they don't. Uh, and, and then, you know, I'm still buying stuff at the hardware stores, and yeah, it's in stock. I just have no idea where it is in this massive warehouse. So it might as well not be in stock. So exactly. this is uh, just, um, it's kind of, I think as a consumer, it's easy to kind of be dismissive. But why is it so difficult to get this right, do you think? Um, it, it clearly is. And there's a lot of smart people working very hard to get it right. But why, why? Why are we still going to, uh, I won't name the name of the pharmacy because they're actually a customer of us, but uh, why is it that uh, uh, you're not uh, able to, as a consumer, get reliable information about inventory? Well, I will say in terms of COVID tests, that's that's a different ballgame because it's just been chaos, you know, Um, especially with the spike. If you look at the graph, it's nothing compared to last year. It it was so steep because I actually got COVID um, like right after New Year's. And I, so I was like looking at all the, the information about, you know, how fast it's, it's spreading and stuff. And it's 
crazy how much of a jump that is. So I think store associates were just at the, you know, at their ends. And well, one, it comes down to is education for the store employee. And, you know, a lot of employees, they don't have degrees in technology, you know, they're, They need, you know, a consumer experience. They need an easy, intuitive experience. So that's number one when it comes to developing technology is we need it to be very, very intuitive to use. But another problem is that a lot of this stuff is hardware-based instead of software-based. So I, I think a huge reason why all of these, like you as you can have a, a, Squarespace website and sell, you know, clothes yourself out of your, out of your house, and it can be a wonderful ex- shopping experience online because software is so easy to come by now, and it's it's more accessible. But hardware isn't, you know, that takes a lot of inv- investment. So you're going to Target, and I can see exactly the shelf and the aisle where my product is before, you know, I don't even have to call or anything. I can just Google it on my phone. I don't even know how many times I went to, you know, Target or ShopRite and I'm like, where is this? And I just look it up and it tells me right there on their mobile website when two, even two, three years ago, a mobile website that worked that well, that fast and had that information is unheard of. So... Yeah, we're used to that with the Amazons of the world, the Targets of the world, because they have that, um, you know, finance behind them. They have that budget where they can do that. So others don't. As for the big retailers, maybe they that, that aren't doing as well, um, I think it comes down to education and really... I think Walmart and Target are investing in research into what's actually helping us. So they're putting a lot, a lot of time, a lot of effort into figuring out what technology is best instead of just doing, throwing things against the wall, which is, I know some people are, um, but you know, it's not as easy for the smaller retailers or the mom and pop shops to be able to invest in that hardware and that real time visibility but hopefully down the road it will be. Very good. So, Brielle, what, what does a managing editor do? So my job is basically to run supply and demand chain executive. I have a lot of tasks. I, I have an editor-in-chief, so I do... Um, you know, report to her. So we kind of collaborate together on what works best for the website um, because it supply and demand chain executive is a digital only uh, magazine. I also help with the um, uh, content of foodlogistics.com. So I cover the 3PL beat in cold storage there. Uh, and I also usually write about software and technology and also packaging. Um, and you and you host a podcast. Yes. As well. So I have many tasks. I host a podcast and I, I write the cover story for SDCE. I do videos. I really do it all. And and the great thing about where I work is that if I have an idea, they really let me run with it. So basically everything we do kind of comes from the heart or what I'm seeing in the industry or what I think is is going to be a good idea. It sounds like an amazing job. Um, how did you get it? Well, actually, so I went to school for broadcasting. And f- through school, I went to, uh, I started my internship and my first job at CNBC. And wow. from there, I just got into the business-to-business world. Um, I think my most experience comes from a my previous job, which was at a retail-focused company. So I covered anything that brands were doing consumer-facing, um, which, you know, I did learn a lot about the supply chain there and retail and, you know, just the industry and j- business industry in general. And so from mm-hmm. there, I, I got this job, which has been absolutely amazing and the greatest part is i was hired in february 2020 and so a month later the world kind of completely changed and we were always talked about i had friends and family constantly being like look the news is talking about the supply chain i'm like i know i'm well aware 
of what's going on. I, I was thinking about exactly that when uh, I was um, going out for my morning walk with uh, our dogs and uh, my wife. And I was thinking, like, um, when I started my career, which is an embarrassingly long time ago, back in the early 80s, I studied computer science. And at that time, there was no internet. No one had an email address. No one had a computer. And I would, you know, turn up at parties and they'd ask you, so what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a computer scientist. And then they'd immediately change the subject. Ten years into that, everyone's starting to get email and laptops. And it would be, oh, can you help me with my... And, and it was just completely different. And so it seems like you went from this really niche, obscure thing to something that's right in the headlines every day, which, I mean, I think about all the time. Uh, it must be really cool. It was really interesting to see the switch because I first got the job and um, the last publication that I was writing for, I focused on luxury marketing. So I went from this luxury fashion world to the supply chain world. And I was very excited for it because just this company is a much better fit for me. I have such more creative control and freedom and I can really get into the industry. Uh, and a lot of my friends and family were like, oh, the supply chain, cool. And then, you know, a month later, it was, you know, oh, look, look, look. So it really switched. So is this job what you thought you would be doing when you started your career, when you started working at CNBC? Was that what you were heading for? Or did you have something else in mind? Because I think you're one of the only people I have uh, interviewed when I looked you up on LinkedIn, you know, one of your skills is teleprompting, and uh, which is actually a really useful skill, but, uh, you know, not, not, not a, a conventional one. So I went to school for broadcasting, which focuses, we, we, I had a really intense broadcasting program at Montclair State University in uh, Northern Jersey. And they focus on three things, uh, writing, producing, and directing. And it's all focused around live TV. So I kind of, I mean, I was a theater kid as a child, so I, I ran the game and I thought I would be an actress, and then I went to theater school and it was a little too much for me, and I wanted something more high, high energy but relaxed, and um, yeah. then... Yeah, I just got, I was really interested in being an on-air personality. Uh, I, you know, I really wanted to do the fashion thing. Uh, but a lot of that is based in New York and California. And I have been dating my fiance since we were uh, kids. And he works for my father and is going to take over my father's business around town. And so I just kind of got a little sick of the city life. And I wasn't, because I was commuting for a while into the city. I was you know, crashing on people's couches. We were looking for apartments there. And then he kind of wanted to take over the company and I wanted to stay here. You know, we live by the beach and I just, oh, I was able to find this medium of being an on-air personality, but I work from home. You know, I get, have this great studio behind me that my fiance actually built for me. And, you know, I'm home with the dogs. I get to do my work. And at the end of the day, I get to clean the kitchen and I just think it's a great balance for me. And I think the industry is super interesting. So I, it's a win-win. That's wonderful. And so what's, your, what's the business that your fiance is going to take over? Oh, we, we run an HVAC company. So oh, air okay. conditioning and heating. And All right. Any, any supply chain issues there? Yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's I interesting imagine. because I, I warned them. I was like, listen, you're going to have trouble soon. You know, I, I noticed the, the metal. Um, we were going to have issues with metal. And I warned them. I said, you know, to Mike, my fiance, I was like, you're, you're going to, it's going to be rough. So, like, figure out what you need to do now. And they were, there's a lot of jobs that have been stalled because they don't have the ductwork and the equipment that they need to start these new oh. builds. So yeah. I, they've managed because we had a lot in storage, but we're interested to see what's going to happen. Yeah, very, very interesting. And he's also really handy with carpentry. And so he does a lot of work for us and for our, our you know, friends and family building things. And he noticed the lumber shortage before I did. And I was able How to, cool. you know, report on it early on because he noticed it right away. And I was able to do a lot of research and I got right on it. And <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. 
Okay, so hardest part of the show, uh, which is what are the three songs that are kind of most meaningful for you and why? So um, have you had a chance to think about that? Yes, <laughs> I think so. Narrowed it down. So I guess I would say the top song would be The Girl by City and Color, because that's going to be our wedding song. All right. Then I would say Thunder Road or Taxi by Harry Chapin. Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen, Taxi by Harry Chapin, because that's mine and my dad's two songs. And we like always like have to be around each other when it comes on. It's, it's our thing since uh, I was a kid. That is a very cunning tactic. You can turn it into four songs by having two as options there. I, I appreciate your uh, ingenuity there. I just thought of it the last second. I was like, wait, I can't say Thunder Road only for him because Taxi is our, is our I don't know. <laughs> um, very good. I'm trying to think of a specific song from Rumors that's not Dreams because oh, that would be okay. me. I, I got a record player for Christmas. And so uh -huh. I have all these records, and that's why it was super hard for me to come up with a song, because I have all these records I've been listening to, but uh, Rumors has been on repeat in my house. Okay. And, uh, Fair enough. That's kind of me Fair and my enough. mom's thing. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's wonderful that there's links to important people, and uh, I actually got Rumors the other day as well. I mean, I've had it, I don't know, on CD and so forth, but yeah. I, I just got some uh, major investment in vinyl. I've got the valve uh, amp or the tube amp as you call it in this uh, country. And it's just the most wonderful thing. I'm now, it's, I've always struggled with meditation, but for me, listening to vinyls like meditation, it's mm -hmm. like a linear thing. You're kind of committed, you're really focused, you're not thinking about anything else. And, uh, and when you kind of upgrade your system, then, you know, there are new things and you can hear it. It's, uh, I'm it's obsessed. the best. I love it. Yeah. And yeah, we're getting a new preamp because right now I've been using the internal preamp. So I'm excited to, to get oh, the yeah. real thing. Very good. Okay. Well, Brielle, thanks. Uh, th thanks so much. Of course. So that's the end of our show. I hope you enjoyed learning a bit more about the supply chain and also a bit more about journalism and uh, uh, how uh, Brielle got to where she's uh, uh, got to. I found that interesting. So if you enjoyed this, if you found it useful, please do give us some feedback, uh, rate us, comment uh, on our show, and tell your friends. And until next time, stay safe and be well. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.